Hey there, and welcome to the daily podcast where wisdom smacks us with kisses or love taps. I'm Michelle Spiva, a wisdom strengthening coach, your host, and practical priestess of wisdom. Join us daily to gain wisdom and mental strength as we tackle innovative thinking, address emotional and behavioral life traps, and yes, provide you with some practical how-tos to wrap it all up. So settle in or crank up the speed 2x, whatever gets your mental processes firing as we dive in. Stay tuned. Today, I have a question for you. I want to know, what would happen if all of the restraints and fears were stayed, removed, blocked, where you could do anything that you wanted and that nothing would cause you any fear, despair, heartache, sorrow, or loss? And so today, I want you to stick with me as we get to talking about what would you do if you couldn't fail. I'll see you on the flip. Thank you for joining me on the flip. And I am so happy that my voice is starting to come back. And thank you guys. I know we were on the struggle tip there for a minute, but thank you for continuing to listen every day because that's what we do. We show up and the wisdom is partly in the doing. Remember, diligence and consistency usually show up with a paycheck. All right, so thank you. And let's get into this. Today, I want to ask you, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And I want to ask you this because I want to put it out there and let your spirit catch it so that it'll meditate on it when you're sleeping and cause you to fly and grow and consider and formulate and plot and plan things that you can do if you had no hindrances. And the reason why I want to ask this is because in what we've been talking about over the last, you know, few weeks or so, we've really been kind of looking at how to get down into that part of us that is every day, it's with us, it's it's not uh, necessarily deep, it's kind of on the surface, but it's those areas of us that we have to remember to tap into. So like yesterday, we talked about the mother of necessity, meaning, you know, what is your inventiveness? What is that part of you that presses in to do things that are out of the ordinary and in the realm of the impossible? And the day before that, we talked about how to use modifiers and shortcuts to our lives called the command keys of life. Of life. And then I uh, had a fan favorite uh, the day before that when we talked about a resume of meaningfulness and what is the legacy you leave? What are the things that make what you do meaningful and propelling you into the remarkable, the memorable, the legendary? And then before that, I talked about the high magic of tone and mood to control you. And that one, um, 
how can I say this? That one is really powerful and it's been on a slow burn. And so I think you guys are finally catching up to go and check it out. And because uh, I've had a few p- people who are like, girl, you better stop telling all these deep secrets. But it's not about deep secrets. It's really just talking about how to use your tone and mood to um, impact people in the way that you want. And hopefully you use these powers for good. Now we could go on and talk about the previous ones before that, but we don't have time for all of that. But I did want to mention that because there is a method to the madness. Even when I don't necessarily see the patterns as they are being built, I can see them once they start to take shape and emerge. And what we are looking at right now is we are looking at the culmination of getting ourselves ready uh, for newness and for being unafraid of the uncomfortable and unafraid of the gray areas of our life. Oh yes, those good old gray areas. Now I talked about one of the first times I had to consider a gray area in my life uh, was when I was finishing up um, a master's program and defending a, a, a thesis that I had presented and and the panel kept asking me questions and I could almost tell they were trying to lead me into a setup. I was like, I might be young, but I'm not that young. And I, I fessed up and said, look, I don't know the answer. <laughs> That's my gray area. I haven't considered that yet. And I ended up passing with really good marks because of the fact that I was at least um, honest and aware enough. Because I don't know if it was so much honesty as it was being aware enough to tell professors who could make or break your graduation that I don't know that part, but I did. And it has helped me to be able to build on what we talk about on a daily basis. And that is, I don't know a lot. All I know is that when I get it, I share it with you. And I'm here humbly submitting and serving you. So I was reading um, a book, not recently, but I had written down two experiments that had been mentioned in the book. And you all, I spend way too much time trying to go back and find the book that I got these from. And so there will be no, there will not be a book mention unless it magically pops in my head while we're having our little talk today. But in the book, it was talking about some great stuff because, you know, I love to read great books. And it mentioned uh, a exercise that was done with um, military airplane pilots in a simulator. And what the author of the book did to set, set it up was to say that they were retraining pilots who uh, had problems with freezing up, maybe some hesitation that was starting to impact the quality of their flights. And they needed to figure out ways to help them to regain their footing, get their mojo back, and be able to shake whatever it is that had them spooked when they would be in the cockpit. And I guess that is, you know, something that you want to do when you're driving around equipment that costs uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, has a delicate flight system. You don't necessarily want to tear it up or kill yourself. And so, In one particular case, they talked about um, a lady who had come in for this training. And if memory serves me correctly, she wasn't having, you know, huge problems, but she knew that she needed to update her ability to react, her reaction time, her uh, plane of scope, 
deal with some, you know, G-force related stuff that she was dealing with. And this is what the person told her who was conducting um, the exercise. He instructed her that for that simulator, she was going to be in an environment where nothing would impede on her. She wouldn't have to worry about G-forces, wind, turbulence, any of all that, any of that stuff that she was used to and that she was a, um, able to do whatever her heart desired and um, have, a, have a good flight. <laughs> and so she gets into the simulator and at first she starts off as they would expect. And that was she played it safe. She um flew the simulator as if all of the regular laws of physics and nature and all of that were in play. But then she started gradually testing to see if the theory was really true of what she could do. And it and at the end of it, when she got out of the simulator, she reported having a euphoria that she had never had before to that extent during a flight time or much less of a flight simulator time. She also talked about how it was unlocking areas in her mind of connecting things to do with the equipment that she was able to use. And at that time, they asked her to, you know, give them details because they did notice that she was able to uh, do maneuvers and things that the previous uh, exam—not examples, but the but the previous uses had not um, revealed—and it it lended toward them being able to make some slight modifications and making the craft even more um, sleek and aerodynamic and the like. And it was all because they told her that there was nothing that could cause her to fail. Now, here's the thing. All they really did was loosen the restrictions on the flight simulator that were uh, heightened a little bit more than in the natural field so that um, students wouldn't... Uh, get too loosey-goosey with stuff. And the first time she tried and saw that the simulator was not behaving the way it normally would have behaved with the tighter restrictions and requirements, that gave her permission to move and to do. And so she was basically uh, flying the plane on almost normal conditions. And the things that she was able to do helped not only her, but uh, the people behind the mechanics of the aircraft. And it was um, it was amazing so much so that, like I said, it stuck out to me. And then another experiment in the book. Now, this one was for illustrative purposes. And it talked about a professor and his young students. I don't remember if they were in college or high school. I want to say they were in high school. and. He talked about the two foot high trapeze wire. And so what he would do with students to show them how their perceptions can induce fear, he laid the wire on the ground, pulled it taut, just like it would be if it were in the air. And this is what he started out with. And he didn't necessarily tell them that this was, you know, a high wire or any of that. He just said, here is a cable and what I want you guys to do is I want you to step on it and keep your feet on it and walk from one end to the other. 
And the students did it with no ease. They did it laughing. They weren't even looking down. And each one of them walked from one end of the wire to the another. And so then he was like, okay. And I want to say that he offered money of some sort to uh, them for the next try. And he raised the wire to two feet off the ground and asked the students to do it again. Well, this time when they came to get on the wire, which was two feet off the ground, it was a whole different story. There was a whole bunch of trepidation. There were people that didn't even want to get on the wire, let alone try to take a step on it. Uh, there was a whole bunch of falling off and trembling and losing their balance and looking down and staring at their feet. And the teacher uh, at the end, he talked to them about how the perception of how we are made is input such that the higher off the ground you get, the more of a natural fear uh, factor is calculated or your body puts you into. And it's part of the mechanism of keeping you safe because we don't have wings. But it is the same reason why a lot of times people will go up on a roof and get and freeze and can't come back down or people will love to get into glass um containers or go on glass uh, uh bridges and be terrified and it is the same thing and what he talked about was looking at your relation to the floor and that if you're only two feet off the ground, even if you fall off, you're not going to hurt yourself. But looking and identifying at how your fear is immediately triggered when you can't touch the ground. And he said the wire did not change and that it wasn't even high enough to incur any kind of wind uh, interference from the atmosphere. But yet and still, full on fear was input into the students by walking the same wire, the same length, only it was two feet up instead of on the ground. And when I looked at that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is something. And I realized that it's not just the quote unquote ground, uh, the physical ground. And I saw some parallels. And so here's my wisdom smack. Let me just tell you. And that is that our fears, I've noticed, our fears tend to get triggered the further off the ground we get. And not just from a physical standpoint. I'm talking about height-wise. I'm talking about age. Meaning, when you're a little kid, you're crawling around, you're close to the ground, you run, you jump, you hop. You're a daredevil. You will put on a cape and hop and jump and run and take off and want to fly. And it doesn't bother you. And as we get older and older, and usually sometime around the mid-teens, it starts to hit us that we're moving into this world where there are fears, and there are fears that we have to partner up with to the point that when you get into uh, your mid-20s up into your 30s, you want to have that last little hoorah of being a daredevil and you um, 
take on zip lining and all of the different daredevilish sports uh, you want to conquer. And it gets to the point that after this time, if you're still doing that, people start putting monikers on you like Thrill Seeker. Uh, death wish and all of those other things that are not so nice, uh, but that clearly denote the high amount of fear that has arisen or that you've personally triggered in people around you. And so because of that, the higher you get off the ground, meaning the older you get, the more the fear of falling comes. And when I was going back, looking at those those two uh, exercises and um, research exercises that I talked about, I thought about it because on the airplane simulator one, they actually did say, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And they talked about how she, the, she got this total liberation. And it really wasn't that she couldn't fail. She could have still stalled the simulator out Because the normal rules were still in place. She didn't know that. But innately, she became more one with the tool that she was using so that it loosened her up to do things to push herself, not to a limit, but to push herself into a cognitive awareness of all where she became aware of what the craft would do. She became aware of what the simulator's air conditions uh, were, and she took advantage of them and, and put them right to the edge. And it was, it was very awe-inspiring for me. And so as I was looking at um, this whole idea of what would you do if you couldn't fail and asking myself that, you guys, I wasn't able to come up with a just a definite, oh, I would do this. It took me a moment. And it took me a moment. And, and as I was saying, writing it down, I have all these little papers. <laughs> Y'all, please don't talk about me. But there are, t- there are times when I really need pen and paper. And so I try really hard not to use as much paper as I used to, but I still need to write because it taps into your central nervous system so that you can delve into your subconscious and get that train of thought going. And so I did that. And as I started working it out and writing and saying, what would I do if I couldn't fail? I got stumped. I got stumped. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Well, it came to the point where I had to realize that something I said yesterday, I'm going to say now. And that was that I was uh, seduced, enamored hoodwinked and bamboozled by the impossibleness of life because I had to realize that with a lot of experience comes a lot of experience. And that means that you you grow to collect enough data, enough uh, know-hows to learn the pros and cons of a lot of things. And that information is really good until you are forced to try to forget that information. You know, once you get high off that ground, meaning that you're a full-grown adult, your database of pros and cons, what-if scenarios, and cautionary tales becomes vast and extensive. And to 
consider what would you do if you couldn't fail? It challenges the fact that you can fail. And I liked the experiments that I read and I liked the outcome that they said about the airplane pilot. But then I was a little taken aback because I discreetly remember, not discreetly, I definitely remember, forgive me, you guys are using the wrong word. I definitely remember that they never mentioned her um, age. And it was as if they wanted you to just infer by her class that she was somewhere in her her, um, mid to late 20s. And that's all well and good, but you're in your 30s and 40s. You act a little differently, trust me. And no, you act a little differently when given the same circumstance and situation. And for that exercise of what would you do if you couldn't fail, I found that I was going to have to treat it like a construction project. I'm talking about I was going to have to lay some firm foundation, test that foundation, because, you know, your 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 edifice is only as good as your foundation. And then not only was I going to have to take the time to lay a firm foundation, I was going to have to clear the ground, meaning have to ignore some of the things that I knew could possibly go wrong before I even laid the foundation. So. It was dealing with my mind and causing me to run into a lot of paradoxes. And that's no fun. But yet and still, I did try to persevere. And I have the paper here of what I wrote. And when I, and I'm going to be honest with you, when I read it, it's still very safe. It's still very tame. And it's still very disconnected that it's not really uh, where I think I would be. And so what I then did, now y'all ready for this part? This is going to blow your mind. (laughs) In order for me to feel free enough to actually try to answer this question to the best of my ability of what would you do if you couldn't fail, I found that I had to turn that question over to an avatar of myself. Okay, so this is Michelle in this scenario, meaning that I could differentiate the Michelle here with a Michelle that was an avatar. And because of that, I was able to have distance, narrative distance between me and that avatar where I could be both um, objective and subjective, uh, but my subjectivity would be lessened because I was giving that Michelle the bandwidth to go have fun because it wasn't going to directly affect me. Now, before you roll your eyes and call me crazy, don't knock it until you try it. And I will tell you that using this avatar of myself, oh, honey, I changed. I changed a lot of stuff about this avatar so I wouldn't continue to look at, oh, this is still me, you know, (laughs) kind of tricking myself. And when I started doing it that way and asking myself, what would I do if I couldn't fail? Oh boy, I came up with so much stuff. I was writing, I was getting hand cramps, and it was amazing. And what I realized at that time is that if you couldn't fail, is something that lives in another universe or expression of yourself, it lives in that fantasy world. And I was talking to um, a a client of mine and uh, we were talking about their writing, but this is what I said. And they were like, that's profound. And I was like, okay, I'll make sure I use it. I don't think it's profound, but I'll use it. And what we were talking about was 
when we make these characters and we send them into these worlds, we build these new worlds and we have them go through things that are real, that our, our readers are able to connect with, we are doing this very thing that I'm talking about. And that is answering, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Because when you write your worlds, you get to decide if that character lives or dies. And for goodness sake, if it is a traditionally fictional um, genre, don't kill your main character off. That Your readers don't like that. And so you know that there's going to be a way that you're going to figure out to get this, this person to the end of that book if they really are your main character and that they're not a, a red herring. And so understanding that, oh my gosh, that's what I was doing. I was then able to take some of what I wrote and experienced as my avatar and conservatively start to try to bring it over into this realm of the real me. Now, I wish I could tell you that conclusively it's working and I'm just knocking it out of the park. No, I'm not. I am having realistic results, meaning I win some and I lose some. But it has caused me to be able to open up a whole new portal of growth. And the thing that I was going to say about what I said to my uh, writing client was this, that our fantasy becomes our prophecy. It is amazingly accurate how many times you've got your your um, H.G. Wells' stuff coming through. Heck, Star Trek <laughs> with cell phones and, and all of these different things that our fantasy becomes our prophecy is true. Because when we are able to free ourselves to get that distance between us and that what if us Oh, the sky is not even the limit. We can, what box? What sky? We are free to do so much more. And so I want to just say that if you are still with me, hopefully you are, thank you, and you're listening and trying to figure out what would you do if you couldn't fail, and you're like me, separate out you from another version of you. And then you can torture that version. You can do whatever you want to that to that version. You can treat that version like a glorified uh, uh, lab specimen. You can uh, take that that uh, part of you or that avatar of you, and you can put them in extreme conditions, and you can see how you would fare because you're still imbuing that avatar of you with a little bit of you, of you, whether it's your personality, your essence, quintessence, whatever you want to call it, or just the knowledge of how you would behave. And it is a freeing thing. And going back to the airplane simulator um, experiment, what I finally realized that I had not realized when I first w- became enamored with that example of the young lady was that that's exactly what they did for her. Putting her in an airplane simulator was her version of being an avatar because no matter what, she still knew subconsciously, I'm on the ground. I'm just in a cockpit that looks like an airplane. This vista that I see, this isn't real. It's computer generated. And so that part of her mind that is able to stay tethered to her body 
It's like, yeah, this isn't real. So I can push it to the limit and really do it, especially when they gave her the freedom to say, you're not being tested on this. And we've removed some of the, not, well, they said all, we've removed the restraints. So have fun, do whatever you want to. And so when she finally got that freedom, that's what she was able to do. And it took me going through the exercise and treating it with all of the seriousness of really wanting to answer that question, that wisdom started to dawn on me that if you're willing to be that creative soul to create different avatars, personas, alter egos, whatever you want to call it, in a healthful way, you know, and put them to, through different scenarios to see how they behave, they are all working on your team to give you great data and feedback about things that you can try in your own life. And so in the last few minutes um, before I, we, we part today, I want to ask you to go back and think about it. What would you do? if you couldn't fail. Meaning, what would you do if all the different versions of you that you can think of came back with success reports? What if you put yourself, an avatar of you, through the paces of trying out something new, of venturing out into the unknown, and you thought about all of the possibilities, and say, for instance, all the possibilities that you could think of were horrible. How would you without anything to lose, you know, that airplane simulator version of you, what would that version of you do to make it through and to come back and report success? And guess what? You get to benefit from that success. And it might not seem like much, but I will tell you, it has changed the way I look at life. It has changed the way I uh, process And I've said it in other podcasts uh, recently that getting out of the rut of thinking only one way, that I can only get something one way, came from the Michelle who is high, is the two feet off the ground trampeze Michelle that is very aware that my safety cushion is gone. But when I'm willing to put an avatar of myself up there and observe. You see, when you are able to observe, you get more objective, uh-huh, and you lessen that subjectivity so that you can get an aerial view, uh, underneath view, a 360 view. You can get a view from other people's um, standpoints because you got a little ga- um, skin in the game, but it's really just your avatar. And you can do things to your avatar and put them through the things that you want to achieve. And when you figure out how to make it, you can pick and choose the stuff that you're actually going to do in your own life. And each one of those things gets you gets you closer and closer to the real things of what you can do in this life. And so I'm actually going to kind of challenge you to really go through and take the time to do a quick 10 minute. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's going to take most of you more than 10 minutes, but I'd rather you get it down on a piece of paper and start grappling with it than to not ever start. But ask yourself, what would you do if you couldn't fail? So guess what, you guys? Yep, my time is up. 
I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. And I want to encourage you to uh, join us daily. Check out a lot of the different podcasts that we have and check the show notes. And please consider checking out the different ways that you can sponsor us or contribute to keep the show going. And until tomorrow, I'm going to bid you fair do. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.